everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here in Liberty, the Kansas State Sporting News you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Baltazar. And today, we're here for the Houston preview, bright and early on Saturday, which, you know, we all have our own opinions about 11 a.m. games, but that's not what this episode's about. It's about the Houston Cougars. So let's just dive straight in to their 2022 stats. I have you for their offensive stats. They were an 8-5 and team with a 5-3 and record, 1,848 pass or rushing yards, 4.6 per attempt with 17 touchdowns, 4,082 passing yards, 8.16 per attempt, a 67.3 completion percentage, 40 touchdowns to 10 interceptions, a third down percentage of 45.98, which is very good, a red zone percentage of 66% touchdown, 89% scoring, 23 sacks allowed, 36.08 points per game, and 489 points for. So uh, you may be noticing that most of their offense, in fact, over double of their offense was through the air. And I'm here to let you know that 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 hasn't changed. Yeah, I mean, they've always been a passing team. It seems to have persisted throughout coaches as well. Uh, I mean, they had Case Keenum uh, back in the day, and he broke all sorts of NCAA records uh, as a passer. So Houston's always had this passing element to them, no matter who their head coach has been. And that's continuing uh, through last year and into this season as well. Well, also the defensive side. Yeah, the defensive stats... Our uh, uh, points per game last year, they gave up 32.15. Uh, 418 points against them. 3,622 passing yards uh, is what they gave up in 32 passing touchdowns. And then they gave up 1,859 rushing yards and 18 rushing touchdowns. And in the red zone, they allowed touchdowns 64.8% of the time and allowed scores 92.5% of the time. That eight interceptions, forced 22 fumbles, had 31 sacks and a overall turnover differential of minus five. Yeah, so similarly to their offense, the defense gave up a lot of passing yards too. Yeah, which um, 32.15 points per game giving up, that that's pretty bad. Uh, <laughs> luckily, their offense was outpacing that for the most part, so they still went eight and five, um, but... Not a very good defensive position to be in. No. And now we can talk about who they're bringing back from last year, which honestly a lot a lot more of it is just ads. Uh, Stacey Sneed's coming back, who's their second leading rusher. Matthew Golden, who is their third in receptions. And then they added a bunch of people, including Donovan Smith, the quarterback from Texas Tech. Ish Harish, the linebacker from Texas A&M. Josh Cobbs, the wide receiver from Wyoming. Steven Johnson, the wide receiver from Oklahoma State. David Ugawegbu from the linebacker from Oklahoma, and then maintained Jack Freeman, Patrick Paul, and Tyler Johnson all along their offensive line. And you know that's you know that's a pretty decent haul. But then you look at what they lost, and oh boy! <laughs> yeah, they lose Clayton Tune, their quarterback, uh, to the draft. Uh, they he's at the Cardinals now. I think he's played a little bit. He's played a bit, yeah. Um, they also lose uh, Tank Dell, the receiver, to the draft. Uh, they pretty much lost most of their entire offense. Uh, they lost Derek Parrish, uh, who is a fullback slash defensive tackle, 
uh, to the Jaguars. Uh, Javarius Owens, a one-time uh, K-State signee uh, and commit, who never made it to campus, uh, ended up at Houston. He got drafted by the Giants. He's a defensive back. Uh, Donovan Mouton, uh, their tackle leader, uh, was a undrafted free agent signing by the Colts. Uh, DeAnthony Jones, uh, their sack leader at defensive tackle, was another undrafted guy to the Bears. Uh, they lost their starting tackle, Cameron Johnson, uh, to Mizzou as a transfer. Uh, Thwabo Maniki uh, graduated uh, defensive back. Jace Rogers uh, led the team in uh, interceptions at defensive back, and he graduated, and they lost Kashawn Carter, their second leading wide receiver to graduation. So a pretty significant uh, list of losses between uh, last year and now. Yeah, that's... Some would call that significant losses. I think I might join you there. <laughs> but in terms of this year's schedule, they're a 3-4 team with a 1-3 and three record. They beat UTSA only barely at the beginning of the year, 17-14. to Then lost to Rice at a barn burner. Granted, it was at Rice. 41-43. Got waxed by TCU, 13-36. to Beat Sam Houston, who at the time was 0-2, and I still don't think has won an FBS football game, uh, 38-7. Lost to Texas Tech, 28-49. Barely eked out a victory against West Virginia and gave us one of our new favorite reaction images, 41-39. And then took Texas down to the wire at home, uh, 31-24, to although they did end up losing. So like I said... They're a 3-4 and four team, but Connor, you have the offensive stats for this year. Yeah, so as we already said, they're 3-4, and 1-3 in conference play, although I think they're maybe a little better than their record suggests, given how well they played Texas. And against Texas Tech, that was a game tied at halftime as well, so they played them closer than the score suggests. Of course, that West Virginia game, you could argue, was a little fluky as well, given that it was a Hail Mary at the very last second uh, to win, but still. Uh, rush yards this year, they're not doing a whole lot on the ground right now. 818 yards, uh, 3.7 yards per 10, which is not very good. Uh, pass yards, they're just over 2,000 to 2,037, uh, averaging 7.6 yards per attempt. 17 passing touchdowns and 4 interceptions to go with 8 rushing touchdowns. And then offensively, uh, they're just under 6 yards per play, 5.9. And their third down percentage is 43%, which is fine. Yeah, it's about average. Slightly above. Uh, Then on defense, they are a third down team of 44%, so pretty much the same on both sides there. Giving up 6 yards per play, and offensively they're averaging 28.9 points per game, 202 total points for, 219 points against, with a turnover differential of plus 7. 12 total sacks, a red zone defense percentage of allowing a touchdown 76% of the time and scoring 88% of the time, whereas their offense is 64% touchdown and 75% score. So they're another team that isn't really great in the red zone, even in field goal kicking opportunities. And that's an area that K-State has sort of excelled at this year, especially recently. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the big areas that K-State had an advantage uh, over TCU was uh, the few times TCU threatened, which there were not many, uh, once case once TCU got around the red zone or into the red zone, K-State really locked down and made life difficult uh, for their offense. So 
that's uh, potentially an advantage area uh, for K-State. Yep. And before we get into the scouting report for Houston, here's a quick word from today's sponsor. And welcome back to the Houston scouting report of the Aggieville Alley Cats scouting report of the Houston Cougars. Just starting off with their play calling. Connor, would you like to start with play calling or would you want the quarterback? Um, I'll take the play calling. Okay. Um, yeah, so they run a run, pla- run pass split of uh, 44% run to 56% pass, which makes sense, not only given their stats, but also really their ability to run in general, which is suboptimal. <laughs> uh, but they're still primarily a passing team. Uh, it's still a Dana Holgerson squad, and he's still an air raid guy, uh, even if it's less than what he used to be. Uh, and, yeah, their running game is pretty much non-existent. Uh, they're going to try a lot of zone uh, but despite Dana Holgerson saying on a few occasions that they're committed to the run game, that doesn't mean that it's good. It just means that they're committed to trying, and it's not really going very well for them. Uh, then uh, Play action, um, they run that on 27.2% of their dropbacks, and they're throwing screens on 18.4% of their dropbacks. Uh, so, um, so that's luckily something that we've been pretty decent at in the climate era of sniffing out as screens. Uh, we seem to always have a safety that is just really good in that area. <laughs> We've had it be Reggie Stubblefield. We've had it be uh, Josh Hayes. And this year it's kind of been Marquis Siegel. Uh, but then the, another notable thing, the last one, is that they don't use motion as much as you would expect them to um, in a pass-first offense where you maybe want to diagnose the coverage pre-snap. Uh, kind of unusual. Yeah. Now we can talk about their quarterback, the man under center, Donovan Smith, number one, who is a familiar face as we saw him as the starting quarterback for Texas Tech last year when they came to Manhattan. And he's improved in just about every single way from his last visit in Manhattan. Uh, he's, a, he's always been a really good athlete, and he's surprisingly like big. He's 6'5", 240. I would not have guessed he was 240 just based off of his frame. But he's a good athlete with solid arm strength, and he's improved his accuracy by a lot this year, uh, except for when he's hitting drag routes, where he seems to just be throwing behind them way too often, which is such a strange thing to be bad at. But he's also improved his mechanics when throwing on the run, which means he's able to make some impressive throws even when uh, the offensive line is letting him down. He's really improved from last year. The biggest difference, though, is he's turned down the turnovers a lot. Because uh, last year, I believe he was on pace for 30 touchdowns and 27 interceptions. Uh, if his stat line kept going. Uh, this year, he's 17-4. and four. So, you know, you could say it's a, it's a Daner Holgerson thing, which it kind of is an offensive scheme thing. But he's not putting the ball in harm's way nearly as much as he was last year. And that was his biggest problem last year. He's... He would make those, okay, what are you doing decisions. And he's become a lot smarter with the football and more calculated with the risks he's willing to take. Like, he's not taking dumb risks that, you know, you just don't have good reasons to take. And, you know, the one thing that he's sort of not very good at is dealing with pressure. Because when he's kept clean, he's borderline an elite quarterback, according to PFF. 
When he's clean, he has a 90 offensive grade. But when he's under pressure, it goes down to 42.8. Because you he just while he's less risk of he's more risk averse than he was before, a lot of that is the fact that he is still trying to process. So if you try to speed that up, he doesn't do too well with it. But he's also been a really prolific deep passer, the only exception being outside left. And yeah, he's he's gonna target just about everywhere on the field. Like there's you could say short center and behind the line of scrimmage center is where he makes his money, but I wouldn't say that, you know, he's not gonna target any part of the field. Cause he's going to target every part of the field. And a part of that is again the offense. But uh, the number one thing that also I think is worth noting is his time to throw is generally pretty slow because although he's making better choices, he's having to think about making the better choices. So his time to throw is pretty consistently above two and a half seconds, sometimes going above three. Perfect world, you don't want it to be more than like two to two and a half seconds uh, because the pocket typically is able to degrade within three seconds. That's considered good protection. But yeah, Donovan Smith, I think Donovan Smith honestly has a pretty convincing argument to be one of, if not the best quarterbacks that we have seen this year. I think the main contention against that would probably be Brady Cook, but no, Donovan Smith is really good. (laughs) Yeah, and he, yeah, he's taken a huge step uh, from last year. Um, and it is definitely more difficult primarily in that there's not one area of the field where you can say, we're not going to worry about that. I mean, because he'll, he'll go anywhere, really. He likes um, middle of the field the most, um, but that doesn't mean he's neglecting uh, other areas. Uh, again, he's primarily going to work short middle, behind the line of scrimmage middle, intermediate middle. Uh, that's most of what he does. But he's... He's going to be a really quality quarterback. Uh, He's credited with a lot of big-time throws as well. So he'll he'll be a a pretty significant test for our secondary. But that takes us into the running backs. Uh, There's two guys um, worth mentioning. Stacey Sneed, number 21, and Parker Jenkins, number 23. Uh, We'll start with Sneed. He's a pretty fine runner uh, in open space, which um, they target him a lot on screens. Uh, so they're definitely aware of that. They want to get him in space uh, with maybe a few blockers in front of him, but give him a chance to get into the second and third levels, uh, potentially untouched. Uh, and then some of that, uh, the, some of his effectiveness out in space is he he has really great acceleration and a spin move that he uses uh, when confronted with an arm tackle. So there's a couple of. Uh, uh, difficult uh, parts to his game that make him a little bit more difficult to tackle Uh, but as a pure rusher he's kind of fine but most of his success comes only running off of the right end Uh, otherwise he's kind of take it or leave it to probably even worse I think Uh, he run he'll run it right Uh, that's where he's most successful but anything else he's really not that great Uh, he um, there's been a little bit of a um, switch towards Jenkins um, in the last uh, couple of weeks, especially it seems like. Which, uh, speaking of him, he's again a pretty good running back. 
He's very similar to Snead, but he's a better receiver. He's got better hands. He has uh, a better uh, catch radius. Uh, and then when he um, is reading um, the holes in front of him, he's just going to take his time, um, which is not the best, I guess. But he's also pretty young. I think he's only a true freshman. Yeah. And uh, he's he's pretty good. Uh, he's just kind of sneed, but a little better uh, at about everything. And I mean that I don't know how much that says when it's the Houston run offense because uh, there there's not a lot there's not much to love about what they're doing there. I mean Jenkins has only 264 yards uh, on the season, but he is averaging almost five yards per carry, uh, which isn't bad at all. Uh, he's kind of starting to take the lead, so I think we may I think we're more likely to see a lot of Jenkins and a lot of Snead, uh, but we still probably see both. Yeah, I would say that that's a pretty fair assessment. And I don't want to take all the good players, so I'll let you have the receivers as well. Yeah, well, um, there's a, obviously a, a big loss in this room from last year with Tank Dell. Uh, that's an irreplaceable guy uh, who arguably at times maybe made them a little bit too predictable given just how good he was. It was so obvious they were going to him more often <laughs> than not. Uh, but they've done a pretty solid job of replacing him. Uh, I mean, at least as good as can be expected. But we'll start with number four, uh, Samuel Brown. Uh, He's um, a bigger-bodied guy, but he does have a lot of twitch and wiggle uh, in his game, which he's a good route runner and a good screen target because of that. Um, He um, has carried with him the normal tracks of a big-bodied guy, too, like contested catch skills, uh, and he's got pretty solid hands as well, for the most part. Uh, if you, um, he actually started at West Virginia uh, in his career, then um, came to Houston. I'm not sure if he was a Holgerson recruit or not. Uh, I guess it depends on just how old he is. But he's been pretty decent this year, um, especially uh, in the medium and short. He's been really quality. Uh, he's. Uh, doing really well in the short game on yards after catch as well. Uh, And you can add that as well to stuff behind the line of scrimmage where he's making a lot happen after the play. Uh, There's a lot to like about him. Uh, He specifically, he really excels in the middle of the field on uh, short and intermediate uh, routes. He's not running a ton of deep stuff uh, for um, Donovan Smith. Um, but he really likes the intermediate part of the field. Uh, and then he likes short middle, short left. Uh, that That's kind of where he's most at home. I mean, he's caught 12 of his 14 targets in uh, the short middle, uh, which is really, really impressive. Uh, and he has a, does a bit of work in behind the line of scrimmage. I mean, he can make some stuff happen after uh, um, the catch as well there. But he's... Uh, all in all, really quality uh, receiving option. There's a lot to like about Samuel Brown. But... Yeah, like all their receivers are like really weirdly good and sometimes play way taller than they actually are. Yeah, which uh, another guy is Matthew Golden, number two, six foot one ninety. Uh, so he's a very fast player. Uh, seems like every receiver core just needs a guy who 
ex- exists solely to be fast and not do much else. Yeah, the go fast yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah, but he's another guy that lives over the middle. Uh, at least that's where he's most dangerous. Uh, he's got a 93.8 grade um, on intermediate passes. And he does pretty well in uh, behind the line of scrimmage as well. Pretty decently in short. Again, his least targeted area is deep. But he still has a good grade there. But he also does have a pretty bad drop rate there. His biggest problem is drops. Yeah, which, again, that tracks for a guy who's mainly going to be the speed and twitch guy and wasn't like a four- or five-star recruit, is that a lot of times hands are going to be a big issue. But another guy for Houston that lives in intermediate center and intermediate right, uh, both of his grades there around 90. Um, but there's a lot to like about uh, what Matthew Golden does. He's a good jumper, and he tracks the ball in the air very well. Um, but again, he's like many other guys, he's going to get a lot of his targets short center, uh, short right, and then intermediate center. That's, I mean, Donovan Smith wants to get the ball there. That's where Dana Holgerson wants to get the ball, uh, wants to work the middle of the field. Uh, when he gets short center, that tells me is that they like to run him on drag routes and they like mesh mesh (laughs) (laughs) which it's hard not to like mesh it's fairly effective (laughs) but uh they they'll they'll use him a lot in those situations but that leaves only one guy left uh, and that's an all-name team member (laughs) uh joseph manjack the fourth a six foot three 202 pounds and he does not wear gloves which is really unusual uh for a wide receiver uh, but he began his career at U- uh, USC and then transferred into Houston last year. Uh, he had a really great game against uh, Texas Tech, I think is what it was. Mm-hmm. I remember us watching that game, and he was really sticking out. Uh, which he's a very smooth receiver. Uh, his route running is really good. He blocks well. Uh, and he's all around really quality still uh he's somebody else that is gonna live in the short and intermediate game but he's also really well graded in the deep uh deep pass category although he doesn't he doesn't go deep too often he um has a significant majority of his targets uh in between zero yards and 19 yards uh which isn't too uncommon but it's even more so i guess for for joseph man jack he just doesn't go deep very much 18 of his targets on the year have been short center uh, and then added another 12 for intermediate center. We're sensing a pattern here uh, with these uh, Houston wide receivers. Uh, He's really, really, really good Uh, in uh, the middle of the field. That's where Donovan Smith wants to be. If you get out of short center and intermediate center, there's not really any other places where he's going to be a notable threat. Because uh, he has 18 targets short center, 12 intermediate center, and there's nowhere else where he has more than three. So if this guy's going to do damage, we can bet on it being in the uh, middle of the field. And that, that's kind of where he's going to live. The only thing that uh, makes him unreliable at times uh, is his drop percentage. Um, at times, he does have a drop issue uh, with, uh, I guess, him not wearing gloves. Uh, but he's reliable. Um, he's um, unremarkable as a player sometimes. Um, but he's still really fast. He's a really good weapon. And he's someone that needs to be accounted for. There's a lot to like about Joseph Manjack. Uh, maybe he could wear gloves. Uh, that might help him out. But maybe he can start doing that after we play. So Yeah, don't wear gloves until after this game. 
Now we can get into the tight end, which is uh, Mike Laughlin. He's a West Virginia transfer. He played sparingly then. But his biggest thing is he just sucks at run blocking. He's, I don't care what his PFF grades say, he's god-awful at run blocking. If you accelerate or decelerate, he just loses you and misses. And, you know, that makes sense because he's the wide tight end, where he's literally just supposed to be a big wide receiver that creates matchup problems, which makes sense. He's 6'5", 250, but he, he's all right at that. He's not a nightmare, but he's not what you like. He's not someone you can ignore. Like, you have to actively try covering him, but I wouldn't describe him as, I think, the matchup nightmare that Dana Holgerson really wants him to be, which... Hey, I'll take that. <laughs> now we can get into my favorite part of every episode, which is the offensive line, starting with their left tackle, number 76, Patrick Paul, 6'7", 315 guy. And, I, you know, he's been a four-year – he's been a starter for two years. He's been at Houston his entire career. And we'll, we'll start with, with the notes before we get into the grades here. Uh, he's remarkably uncomfortable blocking out in space. As a run blocker, he's just not, that's not his game. He doesn't like doing that very much. He just kind of gets caught in neutral staring at people instead of going towards them because it's almost like he gets choice paralysis whenever he's given like these opportunities. And he's also generally pretty lumbering in his movements. He's not going to get out in front of a lot of people. But where he excels is he's just so unbelievably technically sound what you want from your left tackle. His hand usage is beautiful. His kick slides are similarly beautiful. And because of that, he's able to redirect pass rushes very well. And he just refuses to give up pressure under any circumstances, which leads us to his pass blocking grade. He has a 96 pass blocking grade. (laughs) That is the highest PFF grade I have ever seen assigned to a single college football player for anything. That's ridiculous. <laughs> that just doesn't happen. So Patrick Paul is probably the best left tackle in the Big 12 right now. Uh, I I love KT to death. He is not competing with Patrick Paul. <laughs> Patrick Paul clears by a lot. Um, but their left guard is, eh, he's fine. Uh, credit where he's due. He's a really good lateral mover, which you really want in zone schemes. And he's, he's quick, keeps his eyes up. He's a good mover. Um, He's actually a Texas transfer, though he committed there in 2020, and he's been off and on playing. But his big thing is lateral movement. Everything else is just kind of okay. Uh, He's definitely a beneficiary of having Patrick Paul on his side, because if he's ever in a situation where he doesn't think he can handle a rush, he can literally just bounce it out to him and just say, yeah, you're to a problem now. (laughs) And Patrick Paul is going to be able to handle it, so... You know, he's a bit of a beneficiary there, but he's a good athlete for his position. Then you have the center, number 75, Jack Freeman, 6'3", 300. He's been here since the beginning of time. Uh, He's been here since 2018. And he's a pretty heady player who just doesn't blow assignments. There are times that he actually kind of looks like he's cleaning up the mess of the guys next to him because he missed the assignment. So he's prototypical center. Uh... His biggest thing is he just holds on for dear life whenever he thinks he's losing, which I don't understand how he's... I've watched him play. I don't understand how he doesn't have any holding penalties against him Um, because he should. (laughs) He really should. 
But I guess centers don't get caught holding much, do they? But because you're kind, of, you're literally in the middle of things. But yeah, he his bad habit is he just grabs on, holds on for dear life, and he can get taken for a ride if he in that situation. Uh, Connor, you have the right side of the offensive line. Yeah, so the right guard is number 72, Tank Jenkins. Great which name. For being a tank, he does not handle power very well, uh, which is unfortunate uh, naming for him. Uh, if you get into his face and pop him square in the chest, uh, similar to uh, Jack Freeman, he's going for a ride. Uh, and then, oddly enough, he does do a good job of getting in front of people who try to use finesse. Um, but if you use force, he's just not going to do very well uh, in that regard. All in all, though, he's a fine, if fairly average, guard. His run blocking is eh, and his pass blocking is fairly decent, depending on who he faces. It depends on the size of the nose tackle. <laughs> yeah, that is also a big part of it, yeah. But if you look at his PFF grades, his really good weeks have been even, uh, or have been uh, alternating with bad ones. So he's due for a good week. I guess, in the pass block. Uh, but, all in all, he's, he's a fairly solid guard. And that leaves us with the right tackle, Ruben uh, Unige, at number 74. Uh, he he has a pretty good uh, pack to his punch, uh, and he can handle power better than you would expect, at least based on some of the other offensive linemen for Houston. Uh, however, a lot of times... Uh, I guess getting back to the prior guard, he does kind of leave them out to dry uh, on some rushes and uh, just uh, doesn't really do a good job of uh, sticking with the unit and playing as a unit and is more, a little bit too eager to pass off uh, an incoming rusher uh, to, uh, to Tank, uh, which is unfortunate for Tank. I guess it makes it easy for Ruben and Ije, but it's uh, not the most pure solution uh, for a defense. Yeah. So now we can move into the defensive side of the ball, which is, it's it's a true 3-3 stack that occasionally slides into a cub front. So it, it's pretty similar to what we, it, nothing new under the sun in the Big 12, basically. Uh, a lot of their coverage philosophy is just bail coverages. They're going to play a lot of zone coverages. And uh, they're not going to get the jam on the receiver. They're just going to turn and sprint backwards. That's going to be their thing. Uh, they're really susceptible to sideline balls and back shoulders just by virtue of how they play defense. Because no one taught their corners that when you turn around and your back is facing the sideline, you cannot see the receiver who is going to the sideline. No one seems to have taught them this basic principle of human eyesight. <laughs> So I think that's probably where a lot of their defensive woes have come from. It's just how they play their coverages. And part of it is their corners, but there's a pretty significant part of it that's just, well, their coverage is kind of getting them screwed over. <laughs> but, Connor, you have their two primary uh, interior defensive line players who play anywhere from nose tackle to, you know, three tech because three three five. Yeah, so we'll start with uh, Anthony Holmes Jr., number 18. Uh, about the same size as Javon Banks. He's 6'2", 295. Uh, he's a, mainly a battler in the trenches, uh, which is probably his best quality as a defensive lineman, uh, is that he, he's just very tenacious and uh, um, has a high motor. Uh, he 
uh, does not give up on a rep. Uh, he is going to try anything he possibly can to win a rep. And uh, that sort of makes him a jack-of-all-trades, master of none uh, with um, how he works in any sort of rush situation because uh, he just doesn't have a go-to move that makes him like unstoppable. He just has a lot of moves that he's going to try and hopes that one of them will work, which isn't an awful strategy. It's just not one that is going to make him really an elite defensive lineman. But he's ultimately fine. Uh, his pass rush is fairly decent. Uh, again, though, uh, his best pass rushing performances have been against probably the two worst teams that Houston has faced, so it's tough to really get a read on that. Um, but I guess we'll have to wait and see with uh, Anthony Holmes. Uh, and that leaves us with uh, uh, Hakeem uh, Ajijalaya, uh, which uh, he's slow off the ball. He's a bigger guy. He's 320 instead of 295, uh, like Hill. Uh, so... Um, his best quality is that it's really difficult to move him, and that's about it. He's a tree stump. Yeah. If you're a nose tackle and you're difficult to move, that's at least average for a nose tackle. Yeah, that's that's sort of how I would describe it as well. Uh, they have another guy that I didn't put on the outline, but he's sort of been their more traditional true nose tackle. That's uh, Chidozi and Wakonkwo. Uh, he's been fine. He's been at Houston for a while. He's been generally pretty solid up and down, but he's another example of just a tree stump. Like, you, you just don't move. <laughs> uh, but then you get their two edge players, which would be Nelson Caesar and then David Ubuegbu. Starting with Nelson Caesar, um, he's been here for a while as well. And let me tell you something. This is weird. Um, because they're playing Nelson Caesar out of position. He's an edge player. Like, he should be a true edge player. Uh, but they're playing him at off-ball linebacker. <laughs> and it's disgusting. <laughs> uh, he's god-awful. As a, as a true off-ball, he's terrible. Like, he should not be playing that position. Because there's nothing about his game that caters to playing this position. His athleticism is straight-line athleticism, which is a pass rush skill set. It's not a coverage skill set, and it's not a tackling skill set. But when he is asked to just go forward and wreck house on blitzes, he's pretty effective because he understands the angles of attack. And he's able to duck or power through people depending on what they're doing. This is probably the worst example of someone playing out of position that we may have seen in the history of this show up to this point. I'm not leaving out the possibility that it could happen more in the future. But there's no reason why Nelson Caesar should be playing off ball. It, it's gross. It's a gross misappropriation of resources. Because <laughs> he's such a good pass rusher. Uh, he's just not horrible. He's not asked to do it. I think he has five and a half sacks something or six, five and a half. Uh, and then you give David Ugawegbu, who is the Oklahoma transfer, who plays a very similar role that he played at Oklahoma. He's 6'4", 250. Uh, he played four years at Oklahoma. Um, and he sort of stepped into his own at uh, during this game or during at with his current team. Uh, he's an off-ball linebacker who sometimes blitzes like he's an edge player. So he's he's a true hybrid guy. He's like if Nelson Caesar had the ability to move backwards, but <laughs> it's um, he he very he played um, that jackal linebacker role for Oklahoma last year. He was solid there. 
Uh, he's a plus athlete, really good speed, but doesn't have the greatest like pure power rushing ability. And he's also a really good pursuer of the ball carrier. Like he's a really good uh, off ball guy. You know, his coverage grades eighty seven point seven for a very good reason <laughs> because he understands how coverages are supposed to work. And, you know, he's just a really, really solid player who I think maybe slightly mislabeled if you put him at edge. But, you know, that's on me. I kind of put him there, and so did PFF. So. <laughs> but their two other true off-ball linebackers are next up, Connor. Yeah, so they have, uh, to begin with, uh, number eight, Malik Robinson. Uh, he's uh, he's going to play like he's blitzing pretty much every single play. Uh, and he is someone that hates uh, letting the pl- letting the play come to him. Uh, he um, will pretty much he did, well not letting the play come to you is not always the worst thing in the world. But when you're a little too overly aggressive about it, it just ends up with you uh, falling right into the offense's hands and pretty much just running yourself out of the play more often than not. Uh, he's a multi-year veteran. Uh, he started his career at North Carolina all the way back in 2017 and then inexplicably had no PFF grades for the next two seasons uh, and then has played Houston for four years now. So this guy's, I think, the same age as uh, Daniel Green then. Yeah. Uh, although Green didn't even play in 2017. He wasn't even on campus in 2017, although he was in that class. So he's been he's been around the block uh, as uh, Malik Robinson. Uh, which, um, despite all of that, he still only has a uh, 52.7 grade uh, in what will, I'd assume, be his last season, but you never you, know. You, <laughs> he's just going to keep picking up yeah. years of eligibility. I, he may just. I mean, there's that one tight end that transferred to Miami from Oregon that has played like eight years or something like that. <laughs> but uh, Malik Robinson, um, he's good, uh, or he's... Um, not the best at uh, defeating blocks uh, when he's confronted with them, just not a good block shutter. Um, and then with a running back, he is good at slowing them down, but with power, the more powerful the back, the more he's going to really struggle to really push them back solo. He's um, He relies on a lot of help to bring down a running back um, when directly confronted with one. And then that leaves Jamal Morris, uh, which uh, he's number 25. um, And he's a little slow in his coverage agility, although his instincts are good. Uh, He's another Oklahoma transfer, uh, started at Oklahoma in 2019, played very sparingly from 2019 through 21, uh, and then has started at Houston the last two seasons. Uh, He's now in his fifth year, uh, which... Uh, yeah, his instincts are good in coverage, but um, he's just not the most athletic guy in the world. Uh, his hips are not particularly fluid, um, but he's pretty good at getting to a, a general position. Uh, his highest coverage grade, uh, he just had it uh, this past week against Texas, uh, an 81.4. Um, but all in all, his overall grade is a 60.2, so he grades out as being pretty much a perfectly average player. Uh, although he it's definitely had some hits and some misses this year. Yeah. Now we get into the corner room, who I feel like the corners have gotten left out to dry pretty bad. 
Uh, starting with number 23, Isaiah Hamilton, 6'1", 175. Uh, spent the last three years at Texas Southern for transferring up to Houston. His biggest thing is he just flips his hips way too early. You can tell he's been... He, he used like you can tell he used to be like a man cover corner like you can tell that used to be his game and now he's sort of square peg round hole into a more zone heavy scheme and he just kind of gets lost in that zone and overplays his leverage to one side so if you happen to you know say move a little bit outside of uh, where he initially guesses yeah he's getting cooked which is it, it's so strange given you know, you'd think he'd fit into the scheme better. You know, he transferred up. But, you know, it kind of it's really telling that his best games were against the worst teams. And then he started playing teams that had a pulse and receiver talent. And <laughs> suddenly he did really bad. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's Isaiah Hamilton. And then you have Alex Hogan, who's been in and out of the starting lineup. Uh, partly due to injuries, and the other part because he kind of sucks. Um, he started his career at Texas Tech five years ago. Um, now he's here at Houston. Yeah, he's just bad. He's really, really bad. Uh, he doesn't have anywhere near the the proper athleticism to play corner, uh, especially outside corner where they seem to try to want him to play, which I think is why they're kind of saying, all right, stop. No, no more. <laughs> no more of this. But he still has, like, the second most snaps on the team <laughs> in terms of outside corners. Um, yeah, he's bad. There's not... I don't want to say there's not a single redeeming quality about his game. Um, but I'm really having trouble thinking up with of a redeeming quality about his game. Um, then you have Brian George, who's probably one of... He's probably the best of them. He's a Texas A&M transfer. 6'2", 200, so he's, he's built for a corner. Uh, he also just got his first start, but he's been playing on and off. Um, you know, he's just a really low tackler. He doesn't grab on. He's just going to missile at your ankles, which is always really funny to watch. And he just doesn't have elite speed and loses the ball pretty quickly. And some of that's because he's giving up a lot of space. Uh, he doesn't really like staying in the hip pocket. I think what he's trying to do is the Justin Gardner technique. Of he wants to give just enough room to bait interceptions or bait pass breakups when he had, he probably should just be focusing on being in coverage. <laughs> but, Connor, you have the two final players. And by two final players, I mean the one notable one and then the other guy. <laughs> yeah, so two safeties. We'll start with uh, A.J. Halsey, number 24. Uh, he... Plays his role like a true safety, which I guess makes sense. He's a safety. Uh, he's a transfer from New Mexico where he was fantastic uh, and has been all right this year. Um, played pretty well against West Virginia and the run defense um, and then was good in coverage against Texas, but other than that has been pretty unremarkable for the most part. Uh, so um, he's being a true safety. He doesn't want to uh, get sucked into the play um, unnecessarily. Uh, he's concerned about getting beat over the top, uh, but he is a quality tackler when uh, the need arises. Uh, when he tackles, he ducks his head uh, for either a wrap-up or a dive, um, which I guess could potentially make him prone to targeting yeah. uh, if you want to bait the targeting. 
which I think would be stupid, but it yeah, would certainly be, it'd be beneficial. <laughs> it'd be beneficial, I guess, if it ends up counting. But um, he still takes proper angles. Um, ducking at the last second does make him miss sometimes, uh, but he otherwise does grade out pretty decently as a tackler and in the run defense. And he's otherwise, otherwise a slightly above average safety that has seemed to kind of start figuring it out a little bit the last couple weeks, but we'll see if he's able to put together a performance with good run defense and good coverage. Yep. And that leaves Malik Fleming, uh, safety number 15. He's kind of undersized to 5'8", 179. It's Darrell Jones right there. <laughs> pretty much, uh, except Darrell's a corner. Yeah. And uh, he was a four-year guy at East Carolina, where he graded really well last year uh, at an 80.1. And then this year... He just has kind of existed. Uh, he's coming off a really poor tackling performance against Texas and has otherwise been kind of fine this year. Uh, it was a 65.5 grade overall, but there's just not a lot notable about him. Yeah. That's, that's kind of where the analysis ends. Yeah, that's where the analysis ends. He's certainly one of the players on this team. All right, so now we can go into the stories to watch going into this game. I personally view this as a trap game. But it's a trap game where the other team almost certainly has the talent to win. Like, this is not a game that I don't see a world in which we lose. Um, The world in which we lose involves a lot of their receiver talents. Um, But do you agree that this is a trap game? Or do you, like, disagree and, you know, everyone in the Big 12 can beat everyone? I think that this is a game that on paper looks like a trap game, but I think that in practice, it's just genuinely a game that we could lose against a quality opponent. Like, I I think that any national reporter or would just look at this and say it's a trap game because they see a team like K-State that's had two consecutive quality games and then Houston with a below 500 record and just assume that it is a trap game or otherwise should be an easy victory for K-State without really acknowledging that Houston actually is a better team uh, than many expected. That's not saying that they're great, but they do have the key talent at key positions where if they do just enough, they can beat you even with deficiencies in other areas. So uh, this is absolutely a game that cannot be overlooked by K-State because we could very easily lose this game. Yeah. That leads us to our next story to watch, uh, which is, does this team keep up the momentum from last week's game against TCU? I mean, if we do, T- I mean, Houston doesn't score. <laughs> like, if, if we keep up that exact same momentum, Houston doesn't score. Because TCU is a better team than Houston. I think they're a more generally talented team. I think uh, the only area that Houston has on TCU is probably their number one and number two receivers, just by virtue of how explosive they are. But, yeah, if they keep the momentum up from last week, this is going to be a bloodbath. Yeah, which I would like. I'd prefer that. But um, it, it'll be tough to do. We'd have to set the tone super early, but it absolutely is possible that we do it. And there's probably even a world where we do keep up the momentum but still give up more points because holding anyone to three in modern college football uh, is just so difficult. Yeah. Now on the depth chart for K State, we have a few new places, new uh, new names, and new places for wide receivers. 
Uh, RJ Garcia is considered questionable, so is K- uh, Keegan Johnson. I about called him Keontae Johnson. <laughs> um, so the the new names are Trace Bivey and Jace Brown. Jace Brown moving up to wide receiver into uh, the one line, and uh, Trace Bivey making his first appearance on the two line. What are your expectations for both of them? Well, I think Spivey's going to play probably the second most snaps, I think. Uh, I imagine Phillip Brooks leads in snaps, uh, but I think that's uh, Brown. I said Jace Brown the first time, right? You said Trace Spivey. Oh, okay. No, I think Jace Brown. I meant to say Jace Brown. I was like, dang, dude. <laughs> no, Jace Brown uh, should probably be second in snaps. Uh, I think he's earned... Um, the right to have more snaps than Jaden Jackson. I think he probably should have more snaps than Phillip Brooks based off of last week, but I think Phil's just so ingrained in uh, what the offense wants to do that even if we think that uh, Jace should be playing more, I don't think it'll matter. Uh, Spivey, I I hope him being on the two line isn't just like a smoke screen or a situation where, yeah, he's there, but we don't actually see him because I think he's talented enough to play and make an impact. Uh, I hope that he can, my hope for him is that he can play like 10 to 15 meaningful snaps. I I think that's a a fair uh, guesstimation, especially if RJ or Keegan aren't able to go and then that number probably goes up. But it's uh, um, difficult to say yet what to expect from Trace Bybee, but I'm very happy to see him on the depth chart. That made me more excited than seeing Jace Brown on the one line because I just assumed that was going to happen. I wasn't expecting to see Spivey on the uh, depth chart at all. Um, but I think if he's able to put it together sooner rather than later, he's going to be a huge problem. And we've, you and I have both been a huge fan of Trace Bybee uh, since his commitment. Uh, so I'd love to see um, a connection there. Uh, being built and start to see some of these true freshman receivers uh, really start to make their names known more and more early on. Yep. But that takes us to uh, the next story, which is that Houston has the capability to be an explosive offense given the arm talent of Donovan Smith and the talent they have in the receiver room. Uh, So is K-State going to be able to limit that ability? I think that Houston will probably end up getting those. I... That's that's the most important thing is that you have to accept that when you have the speed that Houston has, they're gonna get theirs. the The key is just going to be making sure that they don't get theirs a lot. Um, I if I had to guess, I would guess probably Manjack is gonna beat us deep once, uh, just because he does it. He, he just seems to do it at least once a game. But I I. The running game isn't going to be a threat. Uh, it wouldn't be a threat even if they were a significantly better running team just because of how K-State plays their defense. But I think the onus is going to be on the safeties this week. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the safeties have had a couple of uh, really quality games as of late, and this is going to be a huge test to see if they can really lock in that improvement and continue to play at that level, or if it's just going to be an up-and-down year for them. Yeah. Now, finally, uh, strange as it may seem, like I said earlier, Donovan Smith is probably the second-best quarterback we've seen this year. So what would your game plan be to deal with Donovan Smith? 
um, blitz early and blitz often. I think the the PFF numbers we saw, I mean, well, you can say what you will about PFF, but they generally get the extremes correct yeah. of when someone's actually either really, really good at something or really, really bad at something. And they found that Donovan Smith is really good when kept clean and really bad when under pressure. Uh I think that's a pretty easy math equation there. I mean, even I can do it, which is this, man. we need to blitz early, blitz often, and <laughs> knock him down a few times and just get in his face and make life difficult for Donovan Smith. We don't want him to get comfortable in the pocket, so we need to be bringing four at least pretty consistently. I don't want to see us uh, doing uh, uh, three-man rushes too often, um, but... Uh, yeah, pressure early and often. I don't think that'll be an issue for Klanderman. We know how much he likes to bring pressure. <laughs> uh, so he's probably uh, chomping at the bit right now to um, kind of get let off the leash in regards to <laughs> blitzing. Uh, so the, I think that's the easiest path forward. I don't think we should overthink it. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the easiest path forward is just be relentless, basically. Because, you know, whenever he's under pressure, he sort of falls apart because he wants to start thinking more. And if you speed up that processor, that's when he's been making most of his mistakes. And granted, he's been very good at limiting those mistakes. That happens when your left tackle is 96 PFF created pass block. So maybe don't blitz the left side. I don't think that's a winning formula. But blitz his arm side and make him see that the pressure is coming his way. That way... You know, there's something to be said about blitzing backside and frontside. There's advantages to both. But if you're blitzing against a quarterback who does not like pressure at all, blitz where you can see you because you're going to start speeding up, speeding them up. But anyway, this leads to projected offensive and defensive MVPs. I, I love doing this segment because it's almost never who we end up picking. Uh, but I ended up picking DJ Giddens and Khalid Duke. Uh, yeah, uh, for offense, I went with Treshawn Ward, and I also said uh, Khalid Duke on defense. I mean, with Treshawn Ward, I mean, our offense just works so well, I think, against their defense, mainly in that their defense is not particularly great in many areas, with the exception of field position, really, at least according to some advanced stats. Uh, there's no reason that we shouldn't be able to be wildly successful on the ground in this game. And we've kind of seen the backs alternate having really fantastic games at times. Uh, so that means Treshawn Ward's due. Uh, since DJ kind of had, they both had really nice uh, weeks last week, but um, DJ had the long touchdown, the explosive play, and was really looking kind of effortless uh, out on the field. I think Treshawn's probably due this week. And then Duke, we need pass rush. He's our best pass rusher. Yep, I agree. So, like I said earlier, there exists a world where K-State loses this game, and, I'm, and I wouldn't even – I wouldn't be, like, vomiting over how ridiculous it would be. Uh, it would all be about explosive plays. That being said, I don't think that this is going to be the environment where that happens. I think that this. I think K State is pretty comfortable in this game. I have them winning thirty-five to twenty. Yeah, I have K State winning forty-two to twenty-four. Yep. So they're inverting the scores there. Yes, that wasn't on purpose, but that is what they're doing. <laughs> you have any final notes? Uh, 
not super excited for an 11 a.m. game in some ways, but other ways it'll be nice to get out of the way. But I'm just anxious to see when this Texas game's going to start. Oh, yeah, since we're on six-day selection. Yep. But I don't have anything else to say either, so thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. If you want to follow or contact the show, you can follow us just about anywhere at Aggieville ACATS. If you want to email us, we're AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at ACEdward00. I am at Connor Bouncesor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville AlleyCats merch store. Link in our Twitter and podcast bio. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville AlleyCats podcast. We're coming rain, shine, or anything in between. We're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.